The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Well, good morning, 11 o'clock. How are you guys doing? You should be awake. If you're missing some of your friends, it's because they showed up to 9 o'clock service. We had a packed house at 9 a.m. as well this morning. So, um, Which, by the way, continue to uh, consider that, if you would, moving to the 9 a.m. service. Or if you have not tried the Wednesday night service, it is an awesome feel. Um, everybody's awake. You know, they've gone through their day. Some people are bringing their kids in their pajamas, and they're sending them downstairs and just doing church on Wednesday. So that's every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And I encourage you, if you haven't tried that out, if you call ACF Church your home, Um, I'd encourage you to try that out. Um, I think that service is going to be a blast as we continue to grow that. But we are in a series called Fanatic as we're studying through this letter from Jesus' little brother, James. And James is challenging us and helping us to understand the difference between true faith and religion. True faith and a a series of of beliefs or or just changing your behavior. Um, True faith and what he's seeing in the church that day. And so he's challenging this early church to something much, much deeper. And uh, last week, Pastor Josh did an awesome job of challenging our wisdom and asking us, where do you get your wisdom? And saying, hey, the origin of your wisdom will determine the outcome. So wherever you get your wisdom uh, will determine what happens in your life. And so he challenged us to get godly wisdom, true wisdom from from God. And so today we're going to move on. If you want to open up uh, to James chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to read through the beginning of that. And this has been a fun series. I've encouraged you guys to be reading through the book of James. If you don't know what to do with the Bible sometimes, you, you kind of do the thing in the morning where you just open it up to a page. You know, you close your eyes and point to a verse and just pray that's the verse of the day for you. Um, I'd encourage you to be more intentional than that. Open up the book of James, read through it. You guys can read through the entire book in about 15 minutes, and it will, it will destroy your life in a lot of amazing ways, in a lot of beautiful ways. It's going to mess up your life, and so I encourage you to do that. But uh, James chapter 4 is where we're going to hang out. James is going to talk to us about decisions, and I don't know if you like to make decisions. I don't like to, to make decisions, especially not before noon on a Sunday, but James is going to challenge the way that we think, and he's going to encourage us to make some choices um, I was with my daughters. Uh, I have two daughters and a little boy, and we were um, in Fred Meyer a few weeks ago. And we were walking around, and we got out to the checkout line, and they, they were looking at all the amazing, colorful, sugary stuff that they put in the checkout line right where they can see it. And they saw the display for all the soda, and they're like, Daddy, can we have a soda? And I'm the no guy in our house. I'm always saying no to everything I feel like. Um, and I thought, okay, moment of weakness. I'm going to give them what they want. Yes, girls, get a soda. And so they go over to the display. I got like six people in front of me anyway. So I'm like, hey, pick a soda and we'll check it out. And we'll get uh, what we want. And so they go over there and they start pulling things out. So they pull out like, uh, you know, we got like the sun-kissed. Get rid of water. Who wants water? Um, they got, you know, A&W root beer. They pulled out, you know, some kind of 
pure leaf ginkgo biloba sweet tea or something, you know, you got to be got to be healthy. Mountain Dew, right? Because you got to have a Mountain Dew. Uh, that's exactly what my eight-year-old needs. And then, um, and then a YooHoo, right? Everybody loves YooHoo. And uh, I don't know if you knew this. There's a special way to shake a YooHoo. You got to spin it. That's that's the way that you shake a YooHoo. And so they got all this stuff out. And they're looking at it, and one person checks out in front of me, then the next person checks out, and the next person checks out, and there they are still looking at all of their choices. Finally, I'm the next person up, and I look over at my kids, and I'm like, hey, guys, you got to make a decision. And Cadence looks up at me, my oldest, with tears in her eyes, and she says, Daddy, don't make me choose. It was just, it was heart-wrenching. I mean, these are the big decisions in life. Which soda will you choose? So we bought them all. No, we didn't. Um, we made them make a choice. They each picked one. We went home. But I thought, man, isn't that us? A lot of times in life, we have a lot of choices, a lot of great things in front of us. And yet sometimes we look up at God and we say, God, don't make me choose. I don't want to choose. It's way too hard. I don't want to give anything up. And this is where we find James today. So let's read this together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your words to us today through James. We ask that you would be in this place, God. Uh, we come from a lot of different places today, God. Uh, there's a lot coming up tomorrow to distract us in this moment. There's a lot of life to be lived uh, even today, God. And so I pray that for these few moments that we have together, God, that we could as, as one body come together under this roof asking you to speak to us. God, thanks so much for the fall. Thanks for all the busyness in life, God. Would you allow us to just be centered here for a moment and uh, to be changed by your word, God, that we would leave this place feeling a little bit lighter. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had a craving before. Um, like I said, I'm a daddy, and so one thing I understand about pregnant ladies is they have cravings. And uh, so I don't know if you've got a craving that uh, you have not been able to satisfy. I'm going to help you with that a little bit and uh, kind of feed the fire. So let's get that first picture up. Uh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I broke your hearts. I know, right? And just let it soak in for a minute. If you have not had Chick-fil-A before, you don't get it. I, I understand. Uh, this is the Chick-fil-A sandwich and uh, the cross-cut fries and the little ketchups. I don't see those anywhere else. They're so cool. Um, Polynesian sauce, that's my favorite. So whenever I go somewhere, I go and find a Chick-fil-A, and I will go way out of my way to get me some Chick-fil-A. So love this. Um, so I'm going to make it even harder for you. Let's keep going. Uh, I don't know where this is from. I just saw this on the internet and it looked delicious. So these are chocolate chip cookies. I am a chocolate chip cookie guy. If you want to know what to make me for a little pastoral gift, because you didn't get me anything for my birthday, um, (laughs) cookies. So in fact, somebody, I said this Wednesday and then Friday or or Thursday, cookies showed up on my desk. So I I appreciate that. But uh, cookies with a little bit of uh, whipped cream and I'm just, it's killing me. Mouth mouth is watering. Let's, let's, Let's make it worse. There it is. Who knows where these are from? And we're getting one, right? Amen, Alaska is moving up in the world. We are getting a Krispy Kreme. I am so excited about this. It's coming. But the, the conveyor belt, I just could stare at this conveyor belt all day long. They put the glass. So you got all these, you know, adults with their faces pressed up against the glass watching the, the little donuts make their way down to the little the shower of the frosting. It's amazing. So anyway, sorry, I need a moment here. Let's keep going. But it's not only food, right? Ladies, shoes. Some of you just, you see the shoe aisle and you just want to get your purse and go spend money. Like you want to leave right now because there's something inside of you that I should say guys too. Some of you guys are shoe guys. I get it. I'm not sexist. So you guys might like shoes as well. But this um, this might initiate a craving inside of you. Uh, let's see the next one. Yeah, buddy. I just, I saw this and I wanted it. Um... I think it's kind of a razor thing that somebody has put a lot of money into, probably more than my car is worth uh, of of parts into this machine. But I saw that and I just, I want to go buy it, right? I just feel my wallet coming out of my pocket right now. I just want to go spend all of my life savings on that thing when I see it. But uh, pretty awesome. So cravings. What do we do with our cravings? How do we respond when we want something? I mean, there are, there are these moments that we see something or experience something or hear something and it, and it triggers a part of us that wants it and wants to respond a certain way. And what if, what if the craving that you have isn't the best thing for you? You know, what if the razor isn't the best thing for you? What if a box of Krispy Kremes, I know, God forbid, is not the best thing for you? What do you do? You know, like why is bacon so delicious and why is it so bad for you? Why did God do that? It should have been like, you know, it should have been, you know, bacon that is good for you like salad, but it's not. It's, it's horrible for you. So why is it this way? But, but the bigger question is, what do you do when you have these cravings? Romans seven twenty one says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind in making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So what Paul is saying here is the same thing that James has said throughout this book. It's like we have two souls within us, waging war with each other. It's like there's the one over here that knows what's right and knows what's good and wants to honor God with our lives. And there's the the soul over here that just wants to be happy, just wants to be comfortable. You know, if, if I can just get through life and feel good, then I'm good. And so it's like we have two souls waging war with each other. So let's go back to James. Verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels 
and what causes fights among you. And so this early church, this is one of the earliest letters we have after the resurrection of Jesus, had a lot of problems. Because sometimes when you get into church, you realize that when you gather a lot of people, also comes a lot of problems. And so James in the early church has a lot of issues. These people are quarreling and fighting about stuff. And he asks this question, and he's kind of being rhetorical because he's going to answer it. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So James is like, hey, you guys have a lot of different passions, which if you're like me, I've always been into a lot of different things. Uh, in fact, if you love something and you're really good at it, I could probably spend some time with you and I could start to love the thing that you love. I, I find that it's easy to love a lot of different things. And if you look at the quarreling or the tension in your life between you and other individuals, often it comes down to you wanting different things than what they want. It's that your passions are at war within you. Even inside of yourself, you don't really know what you want. And then when you end up in life with somebody else, you realize you're both shooting different directions, wanting different things, and it causes tension. It causes fighting. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I read this and I'm like, you desire and do not have, so you murder. I I hope that's a metaphor, is what I first thought. Um, in this early church. I hope that's, I hope he's just kind of using that as an illustration. Like Jesus said, you know, if you have, um, you have anger in your heart, it's like murder in your heart. But then I thought for a minute and I thought, you know, I bet there was actually murder going on in the church. I bet the passions in their hearts were so strong that it was causing them to act in ways that were, were not helpful and would po- probably end up in murder in a lot of situations. And, and then I thought, well, if you look at church history, you don't have to look very far to see people doing things, including murder, in the name of religious beliefs, right? And so we realize that if our passions are, are at war within us and with other people, it's going to result in a lot of disunity, a lot of fighting, and disconnect. And this is what was happening in this early church. He says, you covet and cannot obtain. And this word covet could be better translated as zealous. It's, it's that you're zealous after these things. It's not just that you want a Krispy Kreme or want a new razor or want a pair of shoes, you know. It's that you would do anything and everything inside of your power to get what you want. I mean, like you would murder for a Krispy Kreme, which some of you would, right? I mean, they're pretty good. But it's, this, it's this, this desire that goes beyond just a want to I need and I will do whatever it takes to get what I'm looking for here. And I want, you to, I want you to catch this. James is trying to help us get down into our souls a little bit. He's trying to help us be honest with ourselves for a few minutes. Because if, if you look at the actions that you have in your life, you look at, you know, when you overspent or you overate or you said something you shouldn't have said, or you did something you shouldn't have done, and you look back at that, what oftentimes we say is, I lost control, you know? I'm so sorry, I just, I lost control for just a minute. I don't know what I was thinking. I'll do better next time. And I think what James is trying to get us to to consider is that maybe you didn't lose control in those moments. Maybe you actually took control. Maybe what you do is a response to something deep down inside of you. That it's not some random behavior, but it's actually a response to something that's happening in your heart. We talked about it with our words. We talked about how the words are the overflow of the heart. I would say that he's continuing on in that path of logic saying, listen, your actions as well are going to result 
as an overflow of your hearts. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So first he says, hey, you don't have what you want. Well, are you asking God for it? And I think he's referring to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he says, ask and you shall receive. Like, hey, come to me. And I think God, is, God wants you to ask him for things. It's important that we're willing to go to God, make requests. That's an okay thing to do. You don't have to feel bad saying, oh, God, I'm bothering you. God, as a loving father, wants his children to come to him with their requests. But that's not a blank check. He goes on and he says, but then you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's like, so first, maybe you don't ask at all, but then when you do ask, it's to just get what you want. It's to spend it on your passions. It's with an agenda. And if you've ever had somebody talk to you with an agenda before, you know it changes the relationship, right? Like when somebody comes to you and you know they're trying to get something or they just want something, it changes the interaction. It changes the relationship. Uh, We had this happen uh, a few months ago. I was home on a Saturday and uh, this high school guy comes to my house, knocks on the door. I go answer the door, and I'm like, and he's got, he's got this bag next to him and some stuff in his hands, and I'm like, all right, I know what's coming, right? And he's like, he's like oh, wait, wait, wait. He's like, I'm, I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, can I just come in for a minute? He said, I've got a learning disability and a speech uh, problem, and uh, I've got this assignment from school where I need to sit down with people. I'm going house to house to raise awareness of, of this issue and how the schools are dealing with this problem and how I'm trying to get better and, and uh, trying to get better at speaking to people and talking to people. And so could I just talk to you for a few minutes? And I'm like, I've got a heart for teenagers. I love teenagers. And I'm like, oh, sure, come on in. And so he sits down on the couch and, and I'm like, awesome, man. So how can I help you? And he goes, well, you can buy this magazine subscription for $9.95, and it's just, and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? So I spent 30 minutes explaining to him why his sales pitch was failing and why he'd sold no magazines the entire day. And he, he was, he's telling me, he's like, hey, Brian, um, you know, I just didn't have anything else to lose. Like at this point, everybody's slamming doors in my face. I thought, why not just lie to get what I want? And, and even that failed, but you know, I thought it was worth a shot. I think, I think we go to God that way, don't we? Like, I got no better option. I mean, let's just go to God and maybe he'll give me what I'm looking for. Um, it doesn't matter how we go to him or what we're looking for. Well, I think what, what James is trying to, he's trying to get us to ask this question, what's your end game? Like, what are you really after? Do you know what your end game is in life? If I were to sit down with you right now and ask you, what do you want out of life? Can you answer that question? Can you tell me honestly, this is what I want At the end of life, I want to be able to say, this is what I did. This is what I'm all about. Because I think that that you should spend your life with the end in mind. Spend your life with the end in mind. And some of you are doing this. And you're like, yeah, Brian, I'm doing that. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe that there's anything after death. I believe that I'm dust, and then I'm around, I'm alive, and then I'm back to dust. And so my end is this. I'm going to be gone. And so my goal in life is to get the most stuff, be as comfortable as possible, be as happy as possible, avoid as much pain as possible until I finally die. And so that's the end game that most people have. But as, as the church, as believers, we think the story continues on. We believe that the Bible talks about this kingdom that is to come where Christ comes back to redeem the, the entire world to himself. We believe that there's a, a decision to be made 
where you will, you will make a choice in this life that will determine whether you are in or out, whether God knew you or he didn't know you. That the way you live now does matter for your eternity and the eternity of the people around you. That there's so much more to be lived. It's a bigger story. It's a bigger end game. And when that's your end game, it changes how you live. Like, if you were like, the thing I want to do in life, I want to, I want to start a business. You would do things to set yourself up to start the business. You'd go to school. You'd try to make some connections. If you're like, I want a healthy marriage. That's my end game. Okay, that's fine. Well, you're going to try to pick the right person. You're going to try to invest in the marriage. You're going to try to spend some time together. You're going to, you're going to try to be faithful to them so that you can have a healthy marriage. If your end game is this picture of Jesus coming back, of God on the throne over all things, then you're going to, you're going to have a different end game. And it's going to be to honor God with everything you do. So then James gets kind of intense in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity like hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This word friendship here is like the word, it's the Greek word philia or like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's this deep affection. It's not simply like a Facebook friend or like, you know, this acquaintance with the world. It is this deep affection for the world. And it goes deep. Uh, Romans 1 explains it like this. It says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So maybe you read that and you're like, so Brian, is it not okay to enjoy my life, to enjoy the world, to enjoy good food? There's a lot of amazing things in this world to enjoy. Is, is that not okay? Well, he's talking about a deeper love for those things. Like, you know when something good turns into something bad in your life? Have you ever had that happen? Just me? Okay, you're with me. All right, so it's 11 o'clock, you're awake. You know when something, like you, you like something, you enjoy it, it's a good thing in your life, and then at some point it turns into something unhealthy something hurtful to you and to the people in your life. What he's saying is, if you're a friend of God, you're an enemy of the world. And if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You can't have both. And that's the hard thing here. James doesn't leave any room for shades of gray with this. He says, you will either be a friend of the world or you will be a friend of God, but you will not be a friend of both. And you might say, Brian, that sounds pretty harsh. Like, so you're saying if I am a friend of the world, God's going to reject me? And, and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're a friend of the world, it's you rejecting God. It's you pushing God away, not God pushing you away. It's kind of like this. So I'm a, I'm a married guy. Like I said earlier, I've got uh, three kids. And uh, so Amanda and I, we've been married for about 12 years, and we first... Uh, we're, we're, we got engaged and we started going ring shopping because that's always fun, you know, picking out rings for her at least. And so we went shopping for rings. I'm not a jewelry guy. I've never worn jewelry. I wasn't into the whole thing. She's like, hey, no ring, no marriage. And I said, I'm a ring guy. And so we went <laughs> shopping for rings and picked out rings. And so then we got married. And I put this ring on and it literally has almost never come off in 12 years. I mean, it has been, I've got the married guy finger. Any married guy's got the weird finger? This, this is how you know, like, you're a married guy. I could take the thing off, and you'd still be able to tell. I got this deformed hand, thanks to my wife. Um, but, uh, 
It's, it's just what happens from wearing this ring. Um, I wear it all the time, and I was worried because I'm a mechanic, and I'm like, I don't want to get it caught on something and get degloved or some horrible thing. And so, but I just, I wear it all the time, never take it off. And the other day, Amanda came home from the gym, and I looked at her hand, and I'm, I grabbed her hand, and I'm like, where is your ring? And she's like, oh, well, I go to the gym, I go work out, and I don't wear my rings because I'm lifting weights, and it's probably not good to wear. And I'm like, wear your ring. You're supposed to wear the ring because I'm picturing this beefcake dude like, hey, single lady, you know, working his swag with my wife at the gym. And I'm like, no, we don't need that at 5 a.m. on a weekday. And so I don't need you doing that. Wear the ring. And I was like, why was that such a big deal? It's, it, why is it so important that she wears that? Because I know my wife's faithful. I know she loves me. But the thing is, a ring is not, it's not just a symbol of your devotion. It's also a symbol of your rejection. And here's what I mean by that. When you wear a ring, it doesn't just mean, oh, I love somebody. It means I forsake all other loves for one person, right? Right, married people? That's what it means. You wear the ring and it says, sorry, ladies, rejected. (laughs) And you single people, some of you guys, you guys have like ring radar, you know, I mean, you can see this from a mile away. And, you know, it's like, oh, there she is. She's so cute. There he is. He's so, oh, the ring. And you get that feeling like rejected, right? You're supposed to get that feeling. That's good. That's good. Feel that feeling. Walk away, right? Because that's, that's what it means. It means that this person is devoted to one person, not many people. And this is, this is a marriage we have between us and God. And that's what he's asking for is pure fidelity, total commitment, no other options, no ways out. We are committed to God and God alone. This is a hard truth, right? Because as I said at the very beginning, and James acknowledges this, we have hearts that are torn, hearts that are drawn towards things that, that hurt us, hearts that we want to be in charge. We want to be God. We want to make other things in front of us, God. And he calls them adulterous people, which is a hard term, but that terminology has been used, uh, you know, throughout Scripture, even towards the people of Israel as adulterers and, you know, as prostitutes, as those who would say, I love you, God, and then the next day walk the other way and give themselves to other gods. And we have that tendency as well. Who will you be a friend of? A friend of God or friend of the world. So we're confronted with this, this challenge today. And it brings up a lot of questions for us. Of, so what do we do with the things around us? What do we do with the society we live in? What do we do with the culture, with the media, with all the stuff that's coming at us? How do we respond to it? Um, a few years ago, I heard a great way of describing this that has worked really well for me. Uh, three things that we can do to respond to our culture. Uh, because the church has oftentimes found itself in one of two camps. It, it, the church often finds itself either completely rejecting the world, anything of the world, anything that is in the world must be bad, or finds itself in this other camp where it just receives anything that comes at it. Like, well, if it's coming at me and it feels good and it looks good, I'm going to take it. And so we don't want to fall into either of those camps. We want to look closely at the things that we have in our lives and be critical thinkers and use discernment and say, is this good? Is this going to give me life? Is this going to give life to the people around me? So the first way to respond to our culture is to reject it. Reject it. There are things within our culture that you should be rejecting. 
There are things that we know as the church are not good. Again, don't run too far and say reject all things, um, but understand that there are things that are not healthy. I remember in my youth group uh, in uh, junior high school, we had uh, what was called a tape burning party. Remember cassette tapes? Tape burning party. And so my youth pastor, he was all excited. He's like, hey guys, I got this bonfire at my house. I guess that's how youth pastors talk. I got this bonfire at my house. And so he said, I'm going to light the fire and you guys bring all your, you know, all your tapes, which for me as a junior high kid who loved music, it, this was not good news, right? Because I had like every Metallica, every Megadeth and every Van Halen tape that had ever existed. And I, I loved it. I loved my music, right? And so he's like, we're going to burn it all. If it's not about Jesus, we're just going to burn it. And again, so it's like, there is good music out there. Some of that should have been burned, I admit it. Um, But understand that that's not a blanket statement that we should reject all things. Some things we should not, but there are a lot of things in our culture that we will look at and we will say, as the church, we stand against this. This is not helpful. This is not helping people. It's not good. We won't receive those things as part of the way that we do ministry or part of the way that we reach out. Like, we're never going to have, as a church, strippers for Jesus. We're never going to have, you know, meth heads for Jesus or abusive spouses for Jesus, you know, or alcoholics for Jesus. We may have um, Jesus people for meth heads or Jesus people for alcoholics or Jesus people for strippers, but we're not going to affirm those behaviors as part of our way of life, as part of the way that we do ministry, because we're saying, no, that's not helpful for you. Like, we don't believe that that's giving you life. And so we want to see that change in your life. We want to see you find Christ and we think that that's going gonna, that's gonna to change. So there are things as the church, and I want you to identify with this for you. There are things that should frustrate you about our world. Like if you're never frustrated, if you don't ever pound your fist on the table, like get in touch with your heart. Because there are injustices and things that are going on all around us that should cause us to weep, should bring up anger, righteous anger, that this isn't okay. Because we see people having more value than that. We see better things for people than that. And so we should be, as the church, in touch with that. What if everybody knew what that passion was and they were on mission to see it change for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom of God? I mean, it'd be, it'd be awesome. So we look out of the world and we're like, there are things that should be rejected. And even if you're a non-Christian and you don't have this Christian worldview— you probably look out at the world and say, there's some stuff that's not good that maybe is legal and is allowed, but I'm like, that's not okay, right? Um, it's, like, it's like there's this normalization of, uh, of pornography in our culture. And so this has become very normal. Um, and so I was reading this article the other day about uh, Playboy magazine, which Playboy magazine has been one of the forerunners in this whole industry for a long time. And it was talking about how recently they've made the decision to start having their girls put more clothes on. And I was like, what? And, and it's just, they realized, they said, it's become too normal to be naked. And so, you know, 50 years ago, this was cutting edge, pushing the envelope. Now they're like, it's just like everything else on the internet. We're going to have them wear more clothes. I'm like, we're going the right way. This is good. Putting more clothes on. I don't know if it's going to look like the Sears magazine, you know, here in a few years. I mean, I don't know where it's going, but that's the right way. Good. Have them put some clothes on. We affirm that, you know, it's, it's, this is the world looking in and going, Hey, what we thought was going to satisfy didn't satisfy us. We thought it was going to be enough. We thought if we could just push it far enough, we'd be happy. And guess what? We're not. We've got to go back the other direction now. 
And in 50 years, it's going to go back the other direction. It's just this back and forth of the world going, what do we do with the things in front of us? And we as the church, we look in and we go, we have a different way of finding truth. We don't get tossed to and fro by the waves of what's accepted in our culture. We go to the Word, and we look at human beings, and we say, what's going to bring life? And that's how we decide. So some things you just need to reject. Some things in your life you should have rejected a long time ago. And uh, you need to be on the road towards rejecting those things. Number two might be to receive it. There are some good things in our world, right? Krispy Kremes. I'm just going to receive Krispy Kremes. I just, I'm just telling you that. I'm excited. Going to receive them. Love me some donuts. Um, but again, there's a lot of gray here. This is such a big topic because for some of you, you need to reject some Krispy Kremes, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Some of you thinking right now, this is not good for my life that Krispy Kreme is coming to Alaska. Like I'm going to be there every morning, every night. I, I'm going to put a burger in the middle of two of those Krispy Kremes and I'm going to eat that for lunch. So they make that. Have you seen those? Oh, it's so horrible for you, but so good. Um, so some things we just need, uh, we can receive. Some things in our lives are okay. Um, But again, you have to be prayerful. You have to consider that even if it's not illegal, and even if Scripture doesn't say specifically that you cannot do this, does not mean it's good for you or for your soul. So be aware of that. But again, you can receive things. Receive things in this world. Enjoy a sunset. Enjoy good food. Enjoy good friendships. You know, you can go to movies. You can enjoy a lot of different things, but you have to pick how you do it. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So that is a great verse, and that's a really dangerous verse, right? Some of you are like, blank check, awesome. I just got to thank God for it, and it's mine. So like, I can do kind of whatever. But, but consider that for just a second. I think there's a, really, there's a really good truth here. Is he saying like, it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So go to the word of God with whatever it is that you're thinking of accepting. And, and does the word of God say that this isn't good? And then go to prayer and, and, and say, God, is this good? And, and, and ask God, can I thank you for this? I think would be a good question. It's kind of like my parents used to say, is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back, right? Which ruined a lot of things for me as a high schooler. But it was like, because it screws everything up. You're like, okay, now my paradigm's all shifted here. But that's, I think it's a great way of looking at it. Like if what you're receiving is something that you couldn't say, Jesus, thank you so much for this, honestly, then it may not be something you need to receive. Or how about this? If what you're receiving doesn't make you look feel, act, or be more like Jesus, then you just need to reject it. So so think about it like that. If this isn't making me or my family or the people around me more like Jesus, then I just need to get rid of this because Jesus was the picture of full life. I believe Jesus enjoyed life more than any of us have ever enjoyed life. And so we want to be more like him. I think he's a great example of what it looks like to, to, to live in this culture. Number three is this, repurpose it repurpose it. 
So we live in a Pinterest culture, don't we? We love repurposing things. Let's be honest for a second. Who has wood pallets in their house somewhere? Come on, just be honest. Ladies, yep, okay, okay, yep. I've made a couple things with wood pallets. We had wood pallets on the stage once. It's a whole stage design. We just love that. We love the idea of taking something that was going in the dump, it was going to be thrown away, and reusing it and reworking it and making it into something beautiful. And this is, you guys, this is where we land on a lot of things as a church, because we see a lot of things are twisted in our world. We see a lot of beautiful things that were meant to be beautiful, and now they're not so beautiful. And we see that there's ways that we as the church can lean into our society and make them beautiful again. And that's what we should be doing in a lot of different areas, that we can repurpose things. You know, we had the trunk retreat yesterday, which was awesome if you were a part of that. We're serving our city. We're taking something like Halloween, which for some people is harmless. For other people, they're exploring a lot of demonic things. And and in their lives, it's actually really an unhealthy time of year as they gather together and kind of make something that, you know, is very real into a joke, into something that they can dabble in. And so we take that and we go, what do we do with it as a church? Well, let's, let's provide a safe space out in our parking lot where the church isn't saying, nope, nope, it's of the world, and so we're going to act like it's not there. We're just going to close our eyes. We're going to repurpose it, and we're going to give out free candy, lots of free candy, generous, copious amounts of candy like so many of you did. We're going to do great costumes, and we're going to have a blast. We're going to do it all in the name of Jesus. I heard the other day that uh, we even had people volunteering to host trunks that don't even go to our church, which is awesome, or don't go to church at all. People that are like, hey, I love this, that you're just serving our city. There's this movement that's happening in our community of people who are catching the vision of the kingdom of God. And I think that, I think that it's the church doing its thing, which is just beautiful. That's you guys acting like Christ in our city. So what can we repurpose? Our words. Again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. We can hurt people with our words or we can help people with our words. How about sex? So sex is a conversation that has been, you know, in the church. You talk about it only to tell people not to do it, right? Just avoid it, and then we're not going to talk about it anymore. We're not going to talk about how it's a good thing created by God to honor God. And so as the church, again, we look at that, and we go, okay, it's been twisted. It's been used to hurt ourselves and hurt others. How do we repurpose this and make it back to what it was intended to be? How about money? What a powerful thing money is. Like, we could take an offering right now with the number of people in this room, we could probably feed an entire community in Africa somewhere, right? We could feed them for like weeks, months maybe, if we just took an offering. Think about the power of money. And some of you have been given a lot of money. You're a business owner. You know, you had a big inheritance. You know, maybe you just have a really good job. You, you have a lot of money at your fingertips. And so it's a powerful, powerful thing to be used for good or for evil, Right? Because money is on the root of all evil, right? It's the love of money. And so again, we take something like, like money and we want to repurpose it. How about the internet? Powerful tool. We as a church, we lean into social media. We lean into, into our, uh, our media and go, okay, how do we use this for the kingdom of God? We post sermons on the internet. We create communication on the internet. It can also uh, feed human trafficking, right? I mean, this thing, it's a neutral thing. It's the internet, it's technology, but it can be used for good or for bad. And so we have to look critically at these things and go, how do we repurpose those things? We have a choice to make. What do we do with culture? What do we do with all of our passions, with all of the things that we want so badly? Um, is there anybody, who's a, who's a soda lover? Got any soda lovers? Give me, I need, a, I need a volunteer. Soda lover in the room. Keep your hands up. Okay, right here. 
Come on up. Can you come up here real quick? We need a volunteer. What's your name? Josie. Josie, come on up here. Come stand right here. Josie likes soda. Stand in the middle. So here's kind of how it worked uh, for me in high school. Hold that. So we used to go to McDonald's for lunch, and uh, I hated making choices at the soda fountain, so we'd make what I called the kamikaze. Anybody done this? The kamikaze. So the kamikaze is like this. The kamikaze is for people who can't make decisions. It's uh, first you take kind of a little bit of this, and there you go. We'll do a little Mountain Dew, start things off. And then you just move your way down the soda fountain. A little bit of ginkgo, biloba tea, whatever this is. Fresh, freshly be- brewed. What? Brewed like a year ago. That's a lie. Anyway, um, there's a little tea in there. That's kind of nice. We've got a little kind of Arnold Palmer thing going on here now. Uh, sun-kissed. Whoa, yeah. Add a little bit of citrus to the whole thing. At, at this point, it's not so bad. Um, but then we're going to add a little root beer just to kind of bring a little color into the situation. Uh, okay, there we go. Decision making. I like that. And then, of course, you got to close it out <laughs> with the yoo because um, that's all part of this. So there's a little bit of yoo Yes. Oh, it looks <laughs> so good. What's wrong? You don't want it? Okay, okay. Give her a hand. Give her a hand, would you? Somebody on Wednesday chugged the entire thing. Oh, it's like a college frat party in here. It's horrible. Uh, and I, I just, I, you, you could have seen him an hour later, and he was just a mess. So anyway... So this is what we do with life. We, uh, we just go, okay, here's the choices. I just won't make one. I'm just going to leave church today, and I'm not going to make any choices. I'm just going to keep mixing up everything in this culture and in this world, and, and you're, just, you're miserable, right? And you're not happy, and it doesn't satisfy you, and it never will, and yet we keep running back to it, and we pray it will. We pray that something will change. And then we're confronted at some point with the reality of all the choices that we have in front of us. And we go, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I want a life without this or that or this. And yet you know in your heart it's the source of all your pain. You know in your heart it's the source of all your struggle in your marriage or your struggle at work. You know that there's these things that you're holding on to that are not helping you. So what do we do? with our culture? How do we respond to it? How do we change our cravings? James helps us out. He says, uh, first, to just resist the devil. Resist the devil. This is the first step. You're going to have cravings when you leave church today that are not healthy. There are going to be things that well up inside of you that are not good for you or for the people in your life. The first thing is just to resist them. In verse 7, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we need to understand that there is a deep spiritual battle waging war for your soul right now. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it does exist. And I want to say this as a caveat because we know enough about, uh, about human nature and enough from Scripture to see that not every one of your cravings come from the devil, right? I mean, the whole the devil made me do it doesn't apply to a lot of things in our lives. Sometimes you just made you do it. 
Sometimes it's your craving. Sometimes you decided to allow this thing into your life and you let it sit up on your mantle in your house and you just let it sit there and affect your life and affect your family and you haven't done anything with it and you wonder why it won't go away because you keep it right where it's at. And so the craving is being fed by your lifestyle, by something in your life. And so sometimes it's just a quick decision. Sometimes it's a long journey, but we have to start by resisting the devil. And I think for me in my life, it's this first 10 seconds right after you get a craving, right after you have this impulse to do or act or say a certain thing. Like, what do you do with that first 10 seconds? I think resist the devil, know the truth, Ephesians 6, you can read that, talks about the full armor of God, knowing scripture, being able to respond to something in your life and go, is this good? Should I, should I do this? And then to have a bit of a, a, a scriptural background to be able to go, no, this isn't good. This isn't going to make me more like Jesus. Number two, reflect on your life. James says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What he's saying here is this. As we stop for a second and look at the way that we live, um, if you're honest, there's going to be some mourning involved. And this is why so many people hate silence. This is why you've always got the TV on in the living room. It's why when there's no music in the car, you start twitching and you got to turn something on. It's why we run from silence because when we get silent, we start to think about life start to think about who we are. And if we're honest, we're going to see some mistakes. We're going to see some things that aren't helping us, that are hurting us. And so that's part of, as you guys come to church here, maybe you've got something in your mind right now. And maybe during worship, as we sing, you just need to sit and you need to close your eyes and you need to let some tears flow. And that's okay. Like if that's you today and you go, man, Brian, I just haven't thought about this in a while and I, I just, I kind of want to keep ignoring it and I don't really want to keep dealing with it because it feels like a lot of work and it feels like it's going to, you know, change my life and I'm not really sure I got the energy to change. Just stop for a second, a second and just with God by your side because he's with you. Would you just let it out? If you just need to weep and you need to mourn for a few seconds, that's okay. And that's a good thing to do. What James is encouraging is contemplation, not condemnation. And there's a difference. So you don't sit in your mourning. You sit there, you consider yourself in light of the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. And if you don't have that today, you can have that today. If you're here today and you're like, Brian, I don't know Jesus. And so when I sit and think, it's just nothing but pain. I think today you can receive his grace and it'll change everything. So reflect on your life. The last thing is to rely on grace. We're going to need grace if we do this, aren't we? We're going to need grace and we're going to need to give grace. The tendency as we start talking about culture and what to do with the things in this world is to start throwing stones at other people when our lives are a wreck. I mean, it's the best way to not have to deal with your own stuff is to throw stones at other people. And so as the church, we rely on grace and it's grace that compels us to act differently. It's grace that compels us to help others through their junk, but it's not grace to judge others. He says there is only one judge. That's he who's able to save and to destroy. Well, who are you to judge your neighbor? James is saying, just let's bring it back to a ground level for a second and realize that we're all on the same playing field here. We all need grace. And so don't judge other people. Love them. Help them. Encourage them. But don't 
judge them. That's God's job. You see, this all comes from the part of us that wants to be in charge. We, in the end, you guys, we want to be God. And this is where it all began. If you go back to the garden, you go back to the beginning when there was perfect unity between man and woman and God, it all started, it all got messed up by this desire to go to this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this desire to be God, to be in charge. And when we as people are the ones that are in charge, when we're trusting our own wisdom and what we think is best for us, it's always pain, it's always disunity, and it's always fighting. There's never peace. You see, then next to that tree was a different tree. It was called the tree of life. The tree of life, see, that's the tree where where God's in charge. He's the one making the calls. He's the one determining what's good for your life. You can't do it. That's the whole point. And that's why there's fighting and quarreling. But if we let God be the decision maker in our lives, let him be the one who says what's good and bad for us, you know what? You're going to find peace. You're going to find fulfillment and your cravings will be satisfied. Isn't that what you want? Jesus, the night before he was crucified, is up in this room with a bunch of terrified friends of his. And he prays to God because he knows he's leaving his friends in this world that's kind of a mess. And he says in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And here's where I want to leave you, because when you find Jesus, you realize that your life isn't quite right. And it can make you really self-centered. And it can cause you to spend the rest of your existence just trying to get better. And I want to leave you with this. As the church, as the body of Christ, we are on mission. And our call is not to spend the rest of our days simply trying to change our behavior, but being on mission for Jesus. So whatever it is in your life that you feel like is disqualifying you from ministry, is disqualifying you from helping other people, whatever it is that you're like, hey, once I get this messed up part of my life fixed, then God can use me. I believe God's saying, no, I pray that Jesus is saying, I, would, I pray that God would protect you in the world. Go, go serve, go love in the name of Jesus. Be on mission just like he was. Love Christ. Trust in grace. Resist the devil. And love people. Let's let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for today. God, I just know that there's a lot going on underneath the surface in this place. And uh, God, we come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different stories in this room, God. And so I just ask God that we could be honest with you for a few minutes. Father, if, if we need to, to weep in your presence and simply to consider the damage that we cause when we trust in ourselves, God, could we just do that for a few minutes? But fa- Father, I pray that there would, wouldn't be one person in this room that would stay in a place of condemnation. But God, we would believe Christ for the work that he accomplished on the cross. God, though we see ourselves as broken and needy, God, when we follow you, you make us new. You give us a new heart, a new identity, God, and we're we're clean because Jesus says we are. 
So God, I pray that we would know and experience that truth in new ways today. God, that we would let you fight for us because we can't fight anymore. God, that we trust in your strength because we've realized that we're just not strong enough. And God, that we would watch some of this damage and, and this pain that we experienced and strip away and that we had no peace. God, we need peace. We thank you for your grace, God. We want to we honor you with our lips and our voices here as we sing. We thank you for Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.